Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Hey friends, uh, we are in uncharted territory uh, as a church, but also uh, just as a as a planet. Now these are unprecedented times, and five nearly five decades of life for me, I've never seen anything like this, and um, it's a truly a, an historic moment. And man, we. We really wanted to be together. We felt the need to do that. And we love worshiping with you. We love being face-to-face and getting to meet in person. But it just, sometimes wisdom is a better part of valor and just felt like this was the wise decision. Uh, But I do want you to understand just some of the heart uh, behind why I am preaching to a camera uh, in my home, in my living room, and and not being able to preach to you in person. Uh, Really, it comes from Jesus, which is, uh, when he was asked what's most important in life, he says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And we honestly just felt like the most loving thing we could do uh, for you, for our church community, but also for our city and our community at large was uh, it was to suspend our meetings for just a couple of weeks, I hope. And uh, we're going to have to play this week by week. We're not going to meet this weekend or next weekend. And so we're canceling all gatherings for those two weeks. And then uh, we'll monitor things as they go. And we'll let you know regularly kind of what our plan is and where, where we're headed from here. But we appreciate just your prayers for us as we uh, try to navigate these times and also just um, just for one another as we all walk through uh, this strange season and um, just difficult season that we're in as, as, a, as a world um, as we fight the coronavirus and, and kind of walk through this time. I also want to let you know there's just a couple functional things. Obviously, the ministry keeps moving forward, even as uh, even if we're not able to meet. And so, anything you could do to continue to, to maybe to automate your giving would be uh, obviously a real blessing for the church and help continue to further the ministry. And so, you can do that either on our website at redemptionokc.com or you can do that through the church center app. Uh, but just prioritizing that and in this kind of challenging season in life of our church, but mainly just in the life of our world, uh, would be greatly beneficial to us. I also want to let you know we're planning other ways just to try to encourage you, to care for you. Uh, we've got teams of people that are meeting and we're gathering, uh, just looking at how we can try to put more resources out and uh, try to be a blessing to our city. And just uh, my hope for you is that you'd wash your hands a lot, but then you'd also wash the feet of others and just use this as an opportunity for us to love as Christ calls us to love uh, those around us. Now, let me pray for us as we kind of lean in here uh, a little bit longer. Heavenly Father, I just pray. Father, I just ask that you would that you would turn the tide on this virus. Uh, Father, that you would that you would heal the sick. That you would be close to those that are in suffering right now. Father, for uh, the poor and the weak and the vulnerable. Uh, Lord, would you uh, would you just be near to those who who are without hope? Father, for those who are without resources and, and without help, much help in the world. Uh, Father, would you comfort them with your presence? 
Uh, Father, I pray for uh, just for those who are decision makers and in positions of authority in our country. Uh, Father, for government leaders and uh, for all those who make decisions at the local, state, national, uh, and even international level. God, would you give them wisdom? Uh, would you would you give them uh, strength to know uh, how it is they need to operate and to press into these times? Father, would you uh, just pray against divisiveness and, and Lord, just ask that you would uh, draw people together to work together for the common good of humanity in this time. Uh, Father, for those who are medical professionals, for our doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals, Lord, would you give them compassion? Would you give them perseverance? Would you give them uh, just wisdom and, and just intellect to know how it is they can treat this disease? Uh, Father, I pray for, uh, for those uh, who are leading churches all over all over the globe, Father, for our church planning partners, and uh, Father, just for churches in our city and, um, and and all over, God, would you would you just cause your church to raise up and to to love well and to lead well even in this time, Father, would you just put on display our great confidence in you and and our faithful in our faithful God, Father, that we might that we might serve well. Uh, Father, would you make us servant leaders who, uh, who lead the way in caring well for, uh, for our neighbors and for all those uh, that, we can, that we can be a blessing to in our city and in our communities. Father, I pray specifically for Redemption Church. God, would you help us to love well? Would you cause us to walk humbly, to speak kindly? Father, to serve mightily and to believe completely in your goodness, even in these uncertain times. Uh, Father, mostly, I just pray uh, that, that you would draw people to yourself. Father, that in this moment of, of obvious human frailty, of, uh, of obvious uh, human uncertainty, Father, would you cause us to depend upon a friend who is greater than us. Father, that we might trust Jesus, that, that we might know of his grace and his mercy, and that you would draw many people to faith in him um, through, this, through this time. Father, we pray these things through Christ and by your spirit. Amen. So we're continuing today our study of the life of David. And as we do, uh, it just happened that the passage we were looking at today, I think, speaks well to the, the days that we're living in. Uh, we're going to talk today about finding a friend or running to a friend in times of uncertainty. And we're going to see that David does that. And we're also going to then look at how that can encourage us in the friendships that we have, but also the ultimate friend that we have in Jesus. And so I hope that this will be encouraging for you. Uh, but if you've got your Bible or your device, go ahead and encourage encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Uh, we're going to be walking through that chapter today. Uh, one of my favorite quotes on friendship came from C.S. Lewis, who in a letter to a friend said this. He said, if I had to give one piece of advice to a young man about a place to live, I think I should say, sacrifice almost everything to live where you can be near your friends. Sacrifice almost everything you've got in order to live near your friends. What he's saying is friends are worth fighting for. Friends are precious treasures that you are to, uh, that you are to be grateful for. And true friends, uh, let's be honest, they're few and far between. Now, I'm not talking about you know, just friending someone on Facebook. I'm talking about the kind of friend that when you walk in the room, they can sense because they know you what's going on in your mind or in your heart. And they, uh, they, they've, they've spent enough time with you that they really know who you are as a person. Uh, reality is we're, we're lucky to have one or two friends like that in life. Or if you've got a handful, man, you're a wealthy person. 
Uh, and I know how hard it is to, to find a friend like that. But when you have a friend like that, you would do almost anything for them. And so you devote your life and give your life to them. And this Sunday, uh, we're going to have a chance, uh, or th- this week, we're going to have a chance to look at one of the most powerful friendships in all the Bible. We're going to be looking at David, the friendship of David and Jonathan. And in Jonathan, we're going to see what it looks like to be the kind of the kind of friend who cheers for his friend, defends his friend, sacrifices for his friend, and, and faithfully um, gives his life for his friend. And so we're gonna we're gonna trust um, kind of that Jonathan is going to point us to some truth that we can count on as well. Um, really, when is a time you need a friend more than any other? It's an uncertain time. It's a time when things feel like, man, life's a little bit shaky and everything starts to feel like it's crumbling and you don't really have solid ground to stand on. And that's the moment when you run to a friend. Friends are always important, but in uncertain times, I think they're especially dear to us. And um, I think when we look at Jonathan or we look at this, this, this passage, we're going to see David living through an incredibly uncertain and an incredibly difficult time. And in the midst of that, he's going to run to this covenant friend that he can depend on and he can count on. And I think we need to know we can do the same. Uncertain times call for uncommon friendships. And so we're going to lean in here and see what we can learn. Let's start in verse 1. And really, these first four verses, we just see the drama start to unfold in this passage. It says, Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah, and he came and he said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that, that he seeks my life? And Jonathan said to him, Far from it. You will not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without, without telling me about it. And why should my father hide this from me? It's not so. But David vowed again and said, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is one step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. Man, do you feel the drama that just builds as you kind of walk through that scene? It's an interesting scene as you see it start to unfold. But David's obviously freaking out a little bit. The guy's dealing with some stress. Anytime someone uh, rips off three questions in a row without letting you answer, uh, they're dealing with a little bit of anxiety. And you see that with David. He just goes, dude, what have I done wrong? Where did I go? What did I do to your dad? Why is he trying to kill me? That's fascinating to me that this is the same David that walked up to a giant with nothing but a slingshot and seemed to have no fear at all. But here, he's shaking his boots. Here, he the, this kind of relational tension between his people and his kingdom and uh, his king has seems to just be undoing him. So he ends it and just says, man, there's, there's one step between me and death. Now, Jonathan, on the other hand, saying, oh, now, it's not really that bad. I I think maybe you're being a little dramatic here, David. I I don't think you're in as much danger as you say you are. And so he he begins to try to minimize the drama and deflect it. Uh, But in the end, David says, no, trust me, this is what's going down. And Jonathan says, whatever you say for me, whatever you say, I will do for you. And that's a friend, isn't it? 
a friend who they're going to trust you and whatever you need they're going to lean in and begin to depend on and count on you and or, or be dependable in that moment first thing we see about friend about a faithful friendship is a faithful friend is loyal and what we're going to see is this unbreakable bond that David and Jonathan have that really is built on this Old Testament ideal of covenant and so we call this a covenant friendship and uh, that may not make a lot of sense right now but uh, it's an important concept and I want to explain to you why it's so important and as we kind of walk through these next verses I think you're going to begin to see how critical this is as uh, in, in this passage they, they Jonathan and David devise a plan and the, the plan they have is I'm David's going to leave and he's going to go away for three days and Jonathan's going to test Saul to see how Saul response, responds to David's absence in the midst of that Jonathan says look if, if Saul is not frustrated or angry that you're not here then you'll know that you're safe and you can come back and uh, yet but if, if Saul's angry at your absence then you'll know uh, then I'll warn you and you can flee and run for your life and so uh, this loyalty of Jonathan to look out for his friend is, is going to be essential to David's protection and we see what that's grounded on really starting in verse 8 uh, David's talking to Jonathan he says therefore deal kindly with your servant and there's a word that's used there that when he says dear kindly uh, that, that word for kindly is uh, is a Hebrew word that's a really important term which is hesed this term hesed is used more than 250 times in the Old Testament and is really a, a key critical idea uh, to understanding our Bible, but you may never have even heard of this term before. So I want to unpack this just a little bit and help you understand. In verse 8, he says, deal kindly with me for, uh, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. And so hesed is this covenant relationship uh, or this, this thing that flows out of a covenant relationship and a covenant is just a commitment between two parties where one says look if, if I don't keep my promise and my commitment to you then I should be undone uh, the way uh, the, and, and really I should be put to death and so as you think about this term let me unpack this term of hesed for you um, it, it may be translated in different translations of the Bible in different places uh, it may be translated as kindness or faithful love loyal love steadfast love loving kindness uh, those are terms that get you translated in English an awful lot for that one Hebrew word hesed it carries the idea of love compassion and affection but it's combined with loyalty faithfulness dependability reliability and so there's a strength to this kind of love that you can count on at all times that's the, the idea of this kind of covenant friendship uh, affection that um, is represented by this word and in this moment David is counting counting on the covenant kindness of Jonathan, which is why he's run to him. I love what uh, Dale Davis says about this when he's talking about why this is so essential. He says, the message of this covenant is, in confusion and trouble, you take yourself to the one person who has made a covenant with you. In David's disintegrating world, there is yet a space of sanity, one refuge still intact, and that's Jonathan. There was covenant. There David could expect Hesed. There was kindness in a raw world. I mean, where do you go in uncertain times? You go to 
your covenant friend that you can depend on. You can count on Hesed always coming your way from him. You can count on that strong, uh, that strong loving kindness and faithful friendship that you depend on. So let's look at verses 12 to 17. I want us to look at kind of the uncommon kind of friendship that's created by that kind of covenant love. And in verse 12, we see this covenant language that shows up here. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be my witness. That's a formal covenant language. And so Jonathan's reminding David that we're in this covenant relationship and he's using kind of this formal contractual language there to describe this. He's saying when I, and he tells him what he's going to do and begins to describe the scenario in which he is going to act. He says, when I've sounded out my father at this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if it's well disposed towards David, then I'll invite, I'll, I'll send word to you and you can come back. But if my father is going to kill you, then if I'm, then I, I will warn you. So that, you can, uh, so that you can flee. Verse 14, he says, if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. That word steadfast love, again, that's the same word we're talking about here. If I'm alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. This friendship's a pretty remarkable thing. And uh, here's what's fascinating about this. Their relationship really goes back to, uh, it, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and we see this back in chapter 18, when this initial relationship started after David uh, slayed, uh, David killed the giant Goliath. He comes back, and immediately Jonathan says his soul was knit to David's soul. That they, become, they became fast friends and faithful friends at that time, and they entered into covenant. And one of the things we realize about this passage you have to really understand the background and let me just kind of walk through a little bit of that so you understand the kind of remarkable nature and common nature of this friendship first Saul was the first king of Israel and uh, the nation desired a king and they wanted one and God gave them a king like all the na other nations in Saul Saul disobeyed the Lord and because of that the Lord said I'm withdrawing my kingdom from you and your family and I'm going to give it to another the other person that God gave it to is David a man after God's own heart and God pulled him out of the, uh, out of shepherding the fields and then had Samuel the prophet his prophet anoint David and in that act he's saying I'm taking the kingdom away from Saul and I'm placing it upon David um, now Saul obviously was going to react to that very very poorly he's, his kingdom has been withdrawn from him and so uh, Jonathan though also had a choice and you look at the two choices of Jonathan and David have very polar opposite responses to that reality that the kingdom had been given to another Jonathan was able to receive that. that Jonathan had, was able to set aside his ambition. Now the normal practice of that day for a prince who was following after his father as king is that he would eradicate all the rivals to the throne. And so that would be the cultural practice, the normal political practice, the expected practice that everyone in the nation knew that this is what ought to happen, that anyone who would be a potential rival to the throne, the king's son or the king would eradicate them so that the, the, the prince would have an easy time in reigning on that, the, his father's throne when the father passes. 
Now, Jonathan's covenant to David causes him to act in a way here that doesn't make any political sense. It doesn't make any selfish sense. It doesn't make any cultural sense. He's actually doing something that feels very upside down. And this is what grace does to us. It makes us act in a way that doesn't make sense in the world's eyes. And you see that exact thing happening here. And uh, this brings us really to the second principle of faithful friendship. Faithful friend is willing to sacrifice. See, Jonathan finds himself stuck in a vice grip with his faith in, uh, in his character competing against both personal gain and ambition, competing against his family pressures, and competing against the political expectations that he would have. He can't keep up with all his loyalties. He can't be loyal to his personal future as, as, a, as a potential king. He can't be loyal to his father and also loyal to his friend David. He's having to make choices and he's having to give up something. And here what you see is that his faithful commitment to David, his friendship to David, makes him do something that in the eyes of his world, in the eyes of his father, looked really crazy. And he's willing to do that. Grace oftentimes overturns the way of the world, doesn't it? And so what we see here is that covenant kindness creates this uncommon friendship. But it doesn't really create the same thing in Saul. So how is Saul going to react in the middle of this moment? Let's look at verse 30. I'm skipping down just a bit. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Well, that's pretty straightforward, right? You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse as your own, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. You notice what it is that upsets Saul so much about his son. It's expectations. He says that as long as the son of Jesse is around, you're never going to be on the throne and you're never going to be able to reign in your kingdom. And so this is upsetting to Saul because he knows what, because he has a desire for his son to be on the throne. What's remarkable about this is you just see this unraveling of the character of Saul. Uh, this is a guy who... Uh, begins to make bad choices and this is what happens to us that when you choose to when you choose sin repeatedly and refuse to repent that eventually your heart becomes hard and sin becomes what's expected of you sin becomes more and more natural and so Saul ends up in a place I'm sure he never imagined doing things he never thought possible the scene ends with him doing something horrific he hurls a spear at his son now, what's fascinating, if you've kept up with our study of the life of David all the way through, is previously Saul hurled a spear at David uh, multiple times and missed. Now he's hurling a spear at his own son, uh, which, um, which is a remarkable thing. Um, but what he knows is that uh, with, with the, the difference here between Saul's response and Jonathan's response is stark, though. Saul can't accept that God has removed the throne and given it to another. But when you think about Jonathan, Jonathan had accepted that the kingdom of, of God's people was God's to give and not man's to claim for himself. So he was able to, to lay down his personal ambition and take up his faith in the Lord where Saul wasn't able to do that. And so what you see here is that Jonathan, as a faithful friend, is also a devoted defender of David. He affirms David. He takes up David's cause. He defends David's character. Verse 33 
um, Jonathan um, speaks back to his father and he answers him and says, why should David be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled a spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan then knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from, rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food on the second day of the month for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. See, Jonathan now sees clearly what's going on and he steps in to really defend David. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful uh, kind of example of what a faithful friend does. He advocates for him. He affirms him and he, he defends his character and, and, and eventually um, kind of inserts himself in the place of David to make David's case before Saul. Now, it's also interesting, this kind of turn. I think, I think the writer here wants us to see that just like David once was, Saul was throwing a spear at David, now Jonathan has substituted himself in the place of David and become an advocate and a defender for David, and Saul's hurled a spear at him. And so he substituted himself and, put him, and inserted himself in David's place in order to protect David from Saul. And obviously, Jonathan's upset and so it says he has fierce anger because he realizes the disgrace that his father's brought. And he also realizes what this means for his friend. And so a faithful friend is a devoted defender. But fourthly, what we see is, and lastly, a faithful friend is a source of great encouragement. In verses 41 and 42, uh, we see that this chapter ends with kind of a sorrowful parting of ways. It says, David rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. They're going to have to go separate ways. But listen to the encouragement uh, that Jonathan offers to David. Um, it says, as soon as the boy had gone, I'm sorry, let me... Uh, in the, in the section there just before that, what we see is that Jonathan actually did go uh, defend David by warning him. And so the, the plan that they had committed just a little bit ago uh, that they had agreed upon was that Jonathan was going to signal David and tell him whether he could come back and it was safe or whether he was truly in danger and he needed to warn him. And so Jonathan, um, Jonathan goes out and he warns David and David's out in the field and he's huddled behind a, a set of uh, rocks. And as he's there, um, Jonathan sends one of his servant boys out to go see and he shoots some arrows out beyond those rocks and he warns David and says nope the arrows are beyond the boy which means uh, it was the signal that he was to give to David that you need to run away and in fact he can't control himself so even as he sends the arrow there he screams to the boy and says is not the arrow there beyond you and then Jonathan called after the boy hurry be quick do not stay which is really a message for David that he couldn't contain himself, but he had to warn him that he needed to run away. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master, and uh, the boy knew nothing, and only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. So he sends the boy away, and now he's alone, and David's out in the field. So verse 41, uh, we'll pick up this section. It says, And as soon as the boy had gone... David rose from beside the stone heap and he fell on his face to the ground and he bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. Um, he wept with them and Jonathan let David do what he needed to do. He didn't, it's interesting that he didn't chastise him or quote the Bible or um, 
but he entered into the struggle and he, he, he walked with him through it all. So the last thing you see is that a faithful friend is a, is a source of great encouragement. You know, as you think about this chapter, I think there's some, uh, just the conclusion of this, of this chapter, and there's some wonderful things that happen here. I love the image of um, this resolution as they, they meet one final time before they part, and David bows down three times before his friend Jonathan, just acknowledging the incredible, uh, the incredible act of graciousness that Jonathan had given to him. Think about this from David's perspective. David was a rival to the throne that easily could have been killed and yet Jonathan, who seemingly had a right to the throne, had recused himself of that, had given everything. He had given his royal robe to David. He had given his armor to David. He had given his bow and his sword to David and said, everything that I, by position, might want to claim, I'm bestowing upon you out of faithfulness to my God. Imagine receiving that kind of a gift that David had received from Jonathan. Imagine the king's son coming to you and saying, man, my soul is knit to yours and I want good for you. May, may, may you always have the, the blessing of God's presence. And so this, is, this incredible act of faith on the part of Jonathan um, has, has just impacted David in such a remarkable way that I love how it says that they wept, but David was weeping the most. See, when you receive a kindness and a friendship, and a grace, and a, and a steadfast love, and a, and a loyalty uh, of a friend like this that just blesses you in a way that you never could earn or deserve, it just, it's going to affect you and cause you to weep out of gratitude for the kindness that you've received. And that's what we see here. But there's also another remarkable statement in verse 42. Jonathan says this really strange thing. He says, go in peace. Now, what a crazy statement. Like, how's David going to go in peace? I mean, he's literally running for his life. He's literally lost everything that was important to him. He's lost his position. He's lost his influence. He's lost his army. He's lost his home. He's lost his wife. Now he's losing his best friend. He's lost everything that mattered to him, uh, seemingly. And yet Jonathan sends him away and says, go in peace. Now, was Jonathan just being, uh, being kind of uh, hyper-spiritual? Was he just being kind of putting on rose-colored glasses? No, I think there's something even more important going on here. He's saying you can go in peace because, uh, because of the covenant that we have together. Notice the reason. He said, go in peace. Why? Because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord. The Lord will be between you and me and our offspring forever. Saying because of the friendship we have, because of the unity we have, we will forever be fast friends because our friendship is grounded in the covenant with the God of the universe. That the Lord of Israel is the one that's brought us together and the one that has united us, and that's an unbreakable bond. And so he says, you can go in peace. And don't you love that encouragement that, that Jonathan just blesses David with as he leaves? There's one more time. It's interesting. They're going to they're gonna part ways here, but there's one more time where they're going to be together. And uh, I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit because I think it's critical for us to understand this, this kind of a friendship. In 1 Samuel 23, 16, it says, And Jonathan's son Saul rose and went to David at Horesh, and he strengthened David's hand in God. That phrase, he strengthened his hand in God, could mean he encouraged him in the Lord. And he just Jonathan went when Saul was still pursuing David, and David was, David was still an outlaw, and he was still on a run. Jonathan went and sought him out for the sole purpose of encouraging him spiritually in his relationship with the Lord. 
And that's what a faithful friend does. And that's what you see Jonathan doing here for David, even later when things continue to get worse. So let me ask you this, friends. What do we do with this? Uh, what do we, how do we apply this message to our lives? Um, maybe, maybe let me ask it a different way. Where do you look? Where do you look for peace in uncertain times? I think there's a clue here for us in the life of Jonathan that ought to encourage us as well. Um, the Christian, one man said, the Christian does not have peace because things are peaceful. He has peace because one who is greater than Jonathan has pledged his friendship to him. Think with me about Jonathan's story for just a minute. And think with us really about how Jonathan's story points us to Jesus. Instead of resisting God's will, Jonathan embraced it. Instead of clinging to his position as royalty, Jonathan emptied himself and became a servant. Instead of, uh, instead of kind of chasing after his ambition and his position and his place, he recused his position and place in order to serve, save David in an act of sacrificial love. So let me ask you, who does that sound like? Philippians 2 says this about Jesus. It says, Have this mind in yourselves, which is also yours in Christ, or which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped or, closed on, or clung to or held on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being formed, born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." See, like Jonathan, Jesus recused himself of his rightful place and became a servant of all in order to rescue and defend and protect and befriend those who were in need. Um, William Blakely says this about Jonathan. He says, There is seldom, if ever, been exhibited a finer instance of triumphant faith than when the prince, Jonathan, with all the resources of the kingdom at his beck, made this request of friendship of the helpless outlaw. David. David was an outlaw of the kingdom. He was one who was on the run. He was one who was, who, who was being shunned by, uh, by Saul and by Saul's, Saul's people. And yet Jonathan sought him out and made him his friend. Lord, uh, guys, this is, this is the beauty of the gospel. The rightful king becomes the servant and savior of the outlaw. Friends, we were in uncertain and dangerous times. We were, we were outlaws and outcasts. And God in his grace and in his mercy sent his son to come and befriend us, to defend us, to restore us and to rescue us uh, so that we might forever be with him. And that's ultimately the hope that we have in Jesus, which is an even greater hope than the hope that Jonathan gave to David. See, we can run to a refuge of this friend that's always available to us forever. Think with me about this. The, um, in Exodus 34, God reveals his name to uh, the people of Israel. And as he does, he reveals his character as well. And so what we see in this is when God revealed himself to us, he described himself as rich in hesed and faithfulness. He says, I'm rich in loving kindness. What he means by that is that, 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 that hesed isn't just a covenant commitment connection that God has for us, but the covenant flows out of the nature of who God is in the very person, uh, in the very being of God. That what he is, is he's full of loyal love and steadfast love for you. That's a remarkable thing. And God says that that flows towards us because of Christ. That means you'll never be lost uh, because uh, whenever, you, whenever you count on the hesed or the kindness or the steadfast love of the Lord. 
Isaiah 26, 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So what do we do in uncertain times? And friends, we, we depend on the Lord. We run to the Lord. We, depend, we, we count on the Lord. And it says that God will keep us in perfect peace whenever our minds are fixed on him. Um, we can go in peace, just like Jonathan sent David out in peace, because we have a covenant, we have a covenant Lord who's entered into friendship with us. And that's why we can walk in peace in uncertain times, because we have a God who's loyal, who's sacrificial, who's a defender, who's an encourager, a God whom we can count on in, at all times, and he's always by our side to speak peace to us, even in troubled times, maybe especially in troubled times. God is near to us to speak peace to us. Uh, do you know the name Jonathan means the gift of God? And as I thought about that this week, I just realized that as much as, a, as Jonathan was a gift of God, Jesus is a greater gift. He gives even greater loyalty than Jonathan, greater faithfulness than Jonathan, greater sacrifice than Jonathan, greater deliverance than Jonathan, greater friendship than Jonathan. And so we can rest in our greater than Jonathan friend, who's a forever friend named Jesus. And that's why we sing in a song like Christ the Solid Rock. We sing, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he is all my hope and stay. Friends, we can count on him. When, when the floods come, when everything seems to give way, and the uncertain time that we find ourselves in right now, you need to know you can depend on your faithful friend, Jesus. Um, he will be there for us in all things, and he will give us peace moment by moment as we, as we look to him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, we want to lean on Jesus right now. That as we wrestle with the uncertainty of the times in which we are living, as we wrestle with the troubled waters of our day, would you convince us deep down of your steadfast love for us that flows out of the very core of your being that's expressed through Christ who, who came as a humble servant, who came as one who washed the feet of those who should have bowed down to him, was one who gave his life and inserted himself and substituted himself as the rescuer for those who should have given their lives for him. And Father, would you just convince us of his great love for us, that we might have peace in uncertain times. Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I love you guys. I hope we can do this in person very soon. Um, take what you heard, put it into practice, and um, let's go love well our city and our, and our neighborhood, and our neighbors in this day. See you soon.